0: welcome to the Stonewall podcast i'm your host jason cameron and with me today is peter from vermont quarries peter how are you doing today
1: great Jason. yourself
0: i am fantastic thank you for asking awesome. so, <laughs> so i'm excited to talk to you today because uh i had actually i've been to vermont quarries the actual quarries like seven years ago now that i think about it and i'm excited to have you on to talk a bit about it uh because i know a lot of people have it and it's an underground quarry which is always cool to kind of talk about and learn about so if you don't mind First, talk a little bit about yourself, just your history kind of in the industry and then a little bit about Vermont Quarries.
1: Sure. So I started back, Jason, in 95 was the, oh. let's say, kickoff to the, uh, the stone industry. Um, for those of you who are in the stone industry, you know we all get in it and then can get out. Um, mm-hmm. I tried to take a little pause. Uh, didn't work out. Uh, so from 95 to 2002, I worked for a distributor in New York City area. Uh, that was Denti Trading, great mentors, great company to work for. Uh, from 2002 to 2004, I was uh, had the opportunity to live back in Europe, and I uh, worked for Intellini for a couple of years. Okay. And then in 2004, they decided that I'm going to start a family and everything else. So mm-hmm. I decided to come back to the States, and uh, I went back to working for Denti Trading. So from 2004 to 2016, I was with them. And then in 2016, a great opportunity came along uh, that could just, uh, it seemed like a better fit at the time. Mm. Uh, it still is. I mean, I have to confirm it was a better fit <laughs> for me. Um, just because of the way the industry changed and the way things were uh, changing in the distribution end, I started working for Vermont Quarries, who I represent today for the last uh, seven years. Mm. And for those of you who are not familiar with Vermont Quarries. They are the folks, or we are the folks, who distribute or manufacture and distribute Danby Marble. So uh, a little bit about the quarry itself. It was actually opened back in 1850s uh, from 1870s to about 1970s. The quarry was owned and operated by Vermont Marble Company. Uh, Back in the day, they were uh, basically the stone supplier in the United States. Uh, They had offices over the country, to my understanding. Um, They also had a great, great library. University of Pennsylvania just purchased that out. I believe it was 2018. Mm -hmm. Uh, For those of you who really want to see how records were kept, they were really, really uh, precise in every project, every layer, uh, every material they quarried. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in 1970s, just like everything else, what goes up must come down. Uh, In 1970s, uh, the company basically sort of sold off different parts. And in 1993, uh, which is exactly 30 year anniversary, is when Vermont Quarries was actually born. Um, Mm -hmm. Vermont Quarries, for those of you who are not familiar, is a joint venture between Red Graniti, who's very, very strong in block supplies and as well as slabs now, uh, and Mazzucchelli Marmi. Uh, Mazzucchelli is very known for their white marble and the love of white marble. Um, So they started this venture in 93. And uh, since 93, we've been quarrying and manufacturing the material from the Danby Mountain. Mm -hmm. Now, the best part about our story, so to speak, is uh, we are the largest underground quarry in the world that has a manufacturing plant within the actual quarry. Mm -hmm. Um, I know sustainability is a big thing for everybody these days. We are working on our certificate, just like everybody else. Just Mm. time is
0: uh,
1: (laughs) our enemy, so to speak. But um, you can't be more sustainable in your practices than uh, we are, at least in my opinion. Um, We do not transport the blocks millions of miles across the world to be manufactured. We do everything right on site. So we quarry and then produce that block into slabs or cut to size projects realistically less than a quarter of a mile away. And Mm -hmm. all of that is actually transported just by large block loaders rather than by, you know, getting loaded on a truck, then getting loaded on a boat, then getting loaded on another truck and so forth and so on. Um, As far as the Danby quarry itself, uh, we quarry, you know, as many as 15 different types of material right now. We are very known for the Imperial Danby. Everybody mm-hmm. seems to know that particular material. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, that's the largest requested, the least produced. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we also do quarry such things as Olympian White, Mountain White, Manchepolino, Montclair, Montclair Rain fantastic Fantastico. I mean, these are all different colors that a lot of the folks in the industry are already familiar, familiar with, sorry. Um, but... Other than that, you know, we're one big giant city underground. <laughs> um, we spread about furthest from the entrance to the furthest point that it was scored is about just over three quarters of a mile. Um, our objective in today's market is to continue bringing material to the market that the clients are requesting. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys know at Stone World that it is uh, more about found basically following the trend more than anything these days Mm -hmm. Uh, you can have the best quality material that you like uh, but at the end of the day if the client is not looking for that particular color (laughs) the soundness or the size does not make a difference it's uh the whole entire package so to speak that they want
0: yeah yeah for sure sure so i'm i'm happy you touched a bit on sustainability because this is something that um you know a lot of fabricators listen to this podcast and they don't not that they fully don't understand why sustainability is important but they they also don't see other industries such as architects designers that do care about these things so is, is that what you're seeing on your end is that you know some fabricators are caring you know architects designers are caring uh caring uh kitchen and bath like where where do you see the push for the importance of sustainability coming from?
1: So I think the push is really an hour end to begin begin with. As a mm. company, um, obviously we do want to be um I guess conscious of what we're doing to the world. Yes, okay. we're taking away uh, part of the mountain, there's no doubt about that. However, what we're doing um as far as the practices that we're following. Number one, we do not obtain water anywhere else from nature. Uh, mm. Any water for, I mean, thousands and thousands of gallons of water that we use is all collected. And then when it's used, it's recycled mm. and used again. Um, so we do not waste any what you know drinking water or any right, right. any other environmental water for for that matter. We are completely sustainable to that. We limit the amount of diesel fuel that we use uh, because really a lot of our stuff is done powered by electric. Obviously, it's the larger machines like the block loaders. um, You know, some of our equipment inside of the quarry is diesel driven. But for the most part, it is actually uh, all the other material is electrical. Uh, or electrically driven. Um, Mm. Give you an example. We're just um, modifying all our gang saws, uh, or we just modified both of our gang saws so that we don't actually draw as much power on the startup uh, of the actual cuts. Um, We are installing additional lighting uh, that's much more environmentally friendly. It does not use as many uh, kilowatts of energy as the lighting that we used to have in there. Mm. Um, so the drive is basically from our end for number one. Um, number two, we do see a lot of architects and designers that are caring about, you know, how um, they're affecting the future of this world by specifying the materials that they're looking for. Are we going to lose a project because, or gain a project because we are sustainable. I'm honestly not sure. I think mm-hmm. we're a little still too early in the game to uh, talk about those things. Uh, is sustainability something that we should all care about? Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's a serious thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if we consider uh, some of the other products that are in the market that we're specifying for our projects today, they move through this chain of production that uses a lot of energy and a lot of resources to put the mm-hmm. final product out. I think a lot of people forget that mm-hmm. as far as natural stones concerned, there is a lot less hands and a lot less energy used to produce a piece of stone than it is to produce other manufactured products mm-hmm. um, and i think in the long run i think a lot of people will realize that we do have to pay attention to these things um whether it's the architect whether it's the designer whether it's the fabricator or whether it's the actual final homeowner or end user mm-hmm. that is concerned about um your practices so to speak um, so the push comes from many different angles, I would say. Um, and I think for us, again, we don't have the actual NSF certificate as of today. Doesn't mean we're not working on it. Um, and to us, truth be told, uh, Jason, too, it's a certificate is important, but it's not as important as us actually practicing those Habits And making sure that we advance and we change our ways to make sure that we reduce the impact on the environment. Mm -hmm. The other thing to keep in mind, uh, we are located in the state of Vermont, which is already very environmentally Mm -hmm. driven, if you would. Um, So those are other set of challenges, I would say, that we need to actually get through, even to operate. Never mind mm-hmm. to be sustainable. Um, you know, so again, sustainability is something that we were working towards. It's obviously something that a lot of people wonder: how come we can talk about sustainability when we're taking them a- away from a mountain? Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same token, taking away from the mountain and sort of regenerating the mountain is a lot less of a. A no-no, if you would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, the power and the energy it takes to produce even concrete, nevertheless, um, other manufactured products that mm-hmm. you know are in the uh, building industry these days. Yeah. And I'm sure you guys see the same thing, you know, in the other products that are promoted through different channels.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And. I mean, I think uh, I think a lot of people don't understand too. When you know you all quarry from a mountain, you're very very efficient with the block that's taken out, right? Like uh, like it's just you're using so much of it that there are there are quarries that I visit, you know, every few years. I go back to it. And I go, it doesn't look much different, but I know they've taken the decent amount out because they're so efficient with what they take out and how they slice it and how they transport it to make sure that you know every bit is being used. And, and I think that's an important thing that a lot of people don't recognize.
1: Yeah, and it's a um, the huge advantage that we have as well as, um, as you mentioned, we utilize our material for different aspects. So mm. we don't just quarry, manufacture slabs. Mm. We quarry material that is manufactured for slabs. Absolutely, that's very, very um, high percentage of our um, work or our production. Mm. However, we also produce tiles. Mm. We produce cut to size jobs. Uh, some blocks are deemed for uh, Arlington Cemetery and other national cemeteries, so we do produce headstone as well. So we do have many avenues in where which way we can utilize our material. Um, and furthermore, we're looking at other options now. Hardscapes seem to be one of the things that are really coming up in the market, and people are recognizing the beauty of natural stone as even a, a you know, a paver or a curbing mm-hmm. or things to that effect. So that's yet another avenue that we're looking to utilize our material that's not perfect. Mm-hmm. You know that we can use for slab business.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about the past few years, because uh, obviously the pandemic threw a wrench into pretty much everything for everyone. <laughs> and uh, so, <laughs> so for you all, kind of, you know, as as far as quarrying goes, um, you know, how did it affect your line of business, right? What what did you have to do to kind of keep going and you know follow regulations and make sure everyone was all right and all
1: that kind of stuff? So strangely enough, um right before the COVID hit or the actual official state mandates were mm. were driven down, so to speak, um we were discussing of shutting down for about two weeks, letting the whole the dust settle down, so to speak. <laughs> Um and in the midst of talking about all that, we were notified that the entire state of Vermont will be shut down and that there is no uh no one's to be going to work, so for mm-hmm. and so on, just like everybody else in this world. We did um follow those guidelines that we were actually closed down for about less, I'm gonna say less than two weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but after that, because of the headstone business, uh part of our production did reopen. Um, as many of the other government aspects did not stop, the headstone business did not stop either. Mm. Um, So we did kind of go back to work. um, And then slowly from there, we started building up. Where we found the most challenging um, aspect was, well, one was the transportation aspect. Mm. Um, When we first reopened, uh, we did find it very difficult to not only find transportation, but also we, obviously with everybody else noticed a huge increase in the cost of transportation. So our customers, rightfully so, you know, had to kind of digest for a, a couple of weeks to to realize that this is not just a fluke thing. That's not going to be just one or two days or, you know, mm-hmm. one or two loads, so that was one aspect. Uh, the other aspect was the pure, um, continuous, revolving um, notion of trying to keep up with who is operating, who's not operating. So we would have orders from clients. We would get them ready, and then the client would notify us, "Hey, listen, we can't take this in because you know we're we're now shut down because of COVID." <laughs> Um, so then, you know, that become a little bit of a challenge, a little bit of a juggling act. Um, we are on an underground quarry. We do have a lot of space, but you'd be surprised how quickly that space starts filling up when, you know, this one's not going to according to schedule. This is not going to according to schedule. So mm-hmm. moving things around. So that was a little bit of a challenge as well. And then, um, The next aspect was really more of a challenge of keeping up with the industry. Mm. As we all know in 2020, well, under 2021, 22, I think also an increase in natural stone and in building industry overall. So the pure demand of the material uh, increased and then the challenges were just of making sure, as I was mentioning before, of making sure that the clients are receiving what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, not to repeat myself, but you can have the best looking piece of stone that you, you think is uh, in the market. But if the client doesn't feel that way, it's really not worth much. Um, So the continuous adjustment of, you know, what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad. Um, And I think that's not just, um, Damby itself, I think that's mm. pretty much
0: the market at this moment. Right. So uh, in in just kind of your opinion with this, um, you know, obviously, like like you said, 2021, 22, 22, uh, the market kind of exploded, right? Everyone kind of thought everything was just gonna fall apart and you know, a lot of fabricators are like, you know, waiting for it to be a repeat of 08. And it kind of never seemed to happen, right? Just kind of kept Getting crazier and crazier and crazier. Has it seemed to to level off at this point? Now is it kind of back to like maybe not back to where it was, but just like leveled off, or is it still kind of demand high?
1: So that's kind of a wrong question to ask. Danby quarries or Vermont quarries. <laughs> um, the difference between us, I think, and the rest of the market or the rest of the suppliers is simply the fact that we are a brand. Mm. And I say that in the fact that you can't go out and buy Danby Marble from a different manufacturer or a different quarry or a different and not just the fact that um, you know, yes, we are marble. So yes, you can get out the marbles, but there's certain specific um characteristics that our customers look from for from our material. Mm. So the continuous request for the high end grade perfect material has always has been there before covid and it's still there now. Okay. Do we see a slowdown overall after after covid? I really don't think we saw any kind of a drop off in requests. I think mm-hmm. we just saw a kind of a shift. Okay. And by the shift You know, we're always strong in the Northeast or the East Coast. Uh, We're very local to the Boston area. We're very local to New York City area. We're not too far even from a DC area. Um, So those corridors, so to speak, always had a very good demand for our material. Mm -hmm. But we do see an increase and continue to see an increase in other markets, especially down in the southern parts of the States, um, Midwest. You know, and now even the West Coast is kind of picking up a little mm-hmm. bit for us as well. And I think overall, I don't think the demand quantity-wise is there, mm-hmm. but the quality-wise, it's still completely driven. Um, I think the big difference between us and other manufacturers will always – have a larger, and I believe anyway, maybe I'm wrong, but I believe that we'll always have a larger demand than we will have the supply, right, right? Um, which is kind of unusual for the material, mm-hmm. and uh, again, it really depends to Jason on where the market goes, yeah. You know, one of the main questions that we generally receive, um, during a lot of our podcasts or different. Um, interviews and so forth is how long do you have or how much more material do you have for the future mm-hmm. of the stone at your quarry? And the answer is really depending on the market mm-hmm. you know we have plenty of stone to go around <laughs> there the mountain is still full of material mm-hmm. but it's a question whether everyone is looking for that perfect no any imperfection, no scratch, no basically a perfect piece of stone, which by the way does not exist mm-hmm. in the world, as we all know. Mm-hmm. Um, we might as well shut down today if that's the case. Yeah. Because really, you know, it's to promote marble or natural stone in general, um, you have to do a lot of education. Mm-hmm. And education is something that really is important for us at Vermont Quarries, not just because of us, but because of natural stone in general. Mm -hmm. If the newer generations are not familiar and do not understand the actual process and what natural stone brings to the table, we're never going to advance. Mm -hmm. Um, And I say that for you know, sort of freely on behalf of all the quarries in the world, um, because I don't know of any quarry that will produce perfect material 365 days a year and put it in a market. Um, and if it does exist, please call me. I'm more really happy to come work for you because it'll be a lot easier. Um, but, you know, if the market does realize that the beauty of the natural stone is the character that, Settled in that particular piece of stone, mm-hmm. it's a whole different world. It's a whole different ball game.
0: It's it's funny that you bring it up because I have a lot of you know friends who are not in the stone industry, and you talk to them about uh, you know granite or marble countertops, and they compare it to a man-made material. And they're like, oh well, like you know, I wanted the same kind of marble countertop that so and so has. It's like, well, it's very hard to get that. I mean, you can get the same type, sure, but you know, it's obviously going to be slightly different. It's a natural product. It's not something that's made in a factory. And it's it's funny because you know there is a lot of education there that you know I think a lot of um, possibly designers or architects want to spec a very specific look over and over and over and over, and, over, and you kind of can't do that with a natural product. Yeah. It, it, it's you know can't really be done.
1: <laughs> No, absolutely. And I mean, a perfect example um Jason, I have nothing to hide when um, we go into certain job meetings and we're talking about multi-unit, you know, properties mm-hmm. um, especially here, you know, in the greater New York area, greater Boston area, DC as well. Um people want to do kitchen countertops and they want basically as you mentioned the same look.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We could have one block that produces 30 slabs and it'll be, you know, by the time you're done, you know, one block will produce 10 different kitchens and 10 different types of material. Um, So really the old saying, the beauties and the eye of the beholder Mm. can't be more true for our material. Uh, We're again, we're doing several projects now where we're educating the people, what to expect from our material, what to expect from natural stone in general. At the end of the day, whether it's, whether they do specify our material, obviously that's the whole driven point, but we hope that that end user or the architect at least walks away with some type of knowledge and understanding. Well, wait, maybe this isn't the product for me or, Mm. okay, I get what they're talking about. This is how we have to go about it. Right. Right. You know, so... Um, there's nothing more frustrating than submitting samples and then getting that submittal range back out of 17 samples. I like this one. <laughs> no, no, no. That's not what the purpose of the other 16 samples is. Um, you know, so it's um, education is very important. Again, people understanding uh, is a very very high priority for us as well mm-hmm. um you know another frustrating point for us um, as salespeople or even as just someone who likes to promote natural stone there's nothing worse than walking into a distributor's office you know for an appointment that you set up a week ahead of time and you're waiting for the, your contact to come out and greet you a customer of theirs walks in Tells them that they're, you know, someone at their facility that they're there to look for marble for the kitchen countertop. And the first thing that person says, oh, no, 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 you can't use marble on a kitchen mm. countertop. Let me take you to this product. Yeah. Um, so that's something that we've been working on for at least last five years, you know, trying to explain to many people, not just distributors, but fabricators, Architects, designers, basically whoever wants to listen, (laughs) you know, that here is a piece of stone. This is something that Mother Nature created. Our job is literally just to take that same piece of stone and cut it into thinner sheets, whether Mm. it be three quarter inch and a quarter. Uh, You know, some people still like the two inch look. Whatever the preference is, that's all we're doing is we're slicing it. We're putting a finish on it. And we're shipping off to the distributor for somebody else to then take a look at it. Um, as long as you understand what comes with that particular stone, um, and that's like with any other product. I mean, mm-hmm. look, we we go out and spend you know hundreds or thousands of dollars on our kitchen cabinets, mm-hmm. and then go and put a piece of plastic on top of it. <laughs> but. You know, if that's what your preference is. That's your preference. I mean, you know, that's what you think the best option is. That's the best option. Mm -hmm. Um, All I'm asking for is that fair comparison and not just, oh, no, you can't use marble on a kitchen countertop. Um, You know, our stone has been used on historical places like Jefferson Memorial, New York Public Library, uh, Beinecke Library at Yale University. You're not talking about things that have been there for a day or two. Mm -hmm. It's been a couple hundred years that they've been sitting there. And, you know, yes, there is absolutely a little bit of a weathering and wear and tear on all those pieces. But again, that's what the beauty is of it. Um, In the distribution. And I used to joke with the people and it really was sort of a, a non-funny joke, but everybody's always, Oh, well, you know, I want this to last me for till I die. Mm. Yeah, I understand. But let's also look at the realistic part of this. An average kitchen homeowner keeps their kitchen seven to ten years. So going back to that style and and renovation and everything else, after all said and done, that's what kind of makes this world go around anyway, isn't it? It's the fact Mm. that we do all like to change and We like to renovate. We like to make something new. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, the beauty of any marble or any natural stone, I should say, um, including our own Danby marble, is the fact that you can reuse it. If you're keeping your second kitchen layout, um, you know, the one big bonus you have to a natural stone, you can have it refinished. Um, Mm -hmm. I had a customer, you know, several months ago. Uh, the gentleman called me up and said, you know, love your product. We were all sold on it. We came home and uh, you know, my wife's a little concerned about the etching on the stone. Mm -hmm. Yes, you're absolutely right. We were explained, we were told, this is exactly what's going to happen. What can I do to fix this? So Mm -hmm. we went through the steps, you know, you can clean it, you can have somebody come in, you know, so forth and so on. And we got into the uh, conversation about, you know, the major things that will cause the etching, like the acid, like lemon and vinegar mm-hmm. and sulfur and so on. Lo and behold, a couple of days later, I received an email from the gentleman saying, you know, oh, thank you so much for your help. We took care of the problem. It's like, great. Well, that's awesome. He called me up that same day and he goes, uh, you know, it was kind of funny. You didn't ask me how I solved the problem. I said, well, which method did you use? Because I went opposite of what you told me to do. I took a piece of lemon I squeezed it all over my countertop, spread it all around, and now it looks all even. Yep. So, <laughs> you know, and if that's what works for you, that's great. Um, The best part about natural stone is the fact that it can be refinished and you also can live with it and grow with it. You know, it's, mm. it's something that really tells its own story. Mm-hmm.
0: But, Absolutely. So. Absolutely. All right, Peter. Well, if people want to learn more about Vermont Quarries, what's the best way to to talk to somebody or or learn about Vermont Quarries?
1: So best way, obviously, is our website, Mm -hmm. VermontQuarries.com. There's plenty of information on there. And for those of you who are really interested um, on the actual website, we also have a section where it says where to buy. That is a list of all distributors. Mm -hmm. Majority of our distributors are very familiar with our product. They, uh, again, going back to education, we visited many of those folks in the last five years. We've also, as you mentioned, with COVID, things have changed a bit. So um, during that time period where some of us were not allowed to go into the offices and whatnot, we spent a lot of time um, virtually demonstrating and uh, explaining our products to our clients and to their staff. Mm-hmm. So a lot of them are very knowledgeable about material and how it acts and what it does and what to expect from it. So those would be uh, the great avenues. Um, obviously, if you ever have any kind of questions, you can always contact us directly. Or all our contact information is on the website. And uh, we're more than happy to get back to you. All right. Perfect.
0: All right, Peter. Well, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me today, man. I appreciate it.
1: Anytime, Jason. Hope you have a great day and uh, we'll talk soon.